Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is a very good interpreter, never makes any mistakes, very good. Totally fine. <laughs> Perfect. I am the Adam I am the Adam Glass, and uh I don't know, man. It seems it seems kind of like it really could go either way with that interpreter. Yeah. Sometimes he's he's actively undermining the translations. But other times you know, and he does he does at that one point say, Don't use the complicated words. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think the problem where it is a it is a fascinating there's like a, a secondary commentary here of yeah. like this guy can't speak in a way that the sorts of people he thinks are his comrades can actually understand the points he's trying to get across. So he ends up dooming himself as a as a function of like refusing to just speak plainly. It's a weird yeah. sort of extra like secondary critique of this film right, it's very like right, oh right. yeah like all leftists just can't speak plainly about their like <laughs> thoughts on these subjects and so <laughs> right. like, nobody ever wants to listen to them yeah yeah um that's fair uh but also uh i don't know there's a handless razor approach to the interpreter himself of whether or not he's acting in malice or just incompetent yeah no it's re- uh, it's very hard to tell it's probably it's probably honestly speaking the most fascinating part of all three movies just this sort of like the idea of you hit this total communication wall Pat, before we uh, before we get too much further into the movie, though, I do want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lost in criterion over there for a dollar a month. You can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Yeah, you can. We do a Ooh. yeah, we can. We do a non-criterion film over there every month. We put together a list that you get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. If uh, there's always an out, though, if you don't like any of the other choices, you can vote to make us watch Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. I mean, why wouldn't uh, you? Who raps and plays basketball and sells pizza? Uses human no, that's beans what he does in basketball. Let's be very clear here. Spoiler warning. Oh shit! No, sorry, everybody. <laughs> we'll ble- we'll beep that out. Anyway, over there we have watched uh, a lot of interesting movies, uh, even perhaps a wider variety of movies than the Criterion Collection, which itself is impossible. Has given us which is impossible because it's just very wide in the Criterion Collection, too. There's no rhyme uh, or reason we watch, here. We've watched things like Critters 2 and Ready Player One and Dog Day Afternoon and the Americanization of Emily. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the gamut right there. Really, uh, some really fun movies, some really interesting movies, really bad movies, too. Uh, but yeah, we have fun. It's a, it's a nice release valve from doing the Criterion stuff because this is a steady march toward death. Uh, given yeah. that uh, the Criterion Collection releases so many movies a year now that we'll never catch up. They know what we're doing, and they're actively punishing it, us for it. Again, that is uh, patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion if you want to get in on that. We've had a real uh, influx of new supporters over the last couple months. Thank you and yeah, welcome, thank you so uh, much. everyone. Uh, so glad to have you. So glad to have the support. There are a couple of different tiers at the Patreon. So the $1 tier gets you access to, uh, gets you voting rights and access to the entire back catalog of uh, previous bonus episodes. There's uh, over 50 over there now. A little above that, $5, uh, people who uh, who want to give us a little extra money, we'd like to thank them on air as well. So uh, 
Thank you to our $5 supporters right now, Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer. Very grateful for yes, that. Thank you very much. A little above that, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. Pat oh, makes a piece kiss. of art uh, based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized note to you thanking you your support or giving one more one more thought about the movie sometimes. I don't know what they say, so there's a, there's something beautiful there too. Yeah, generally, like generally, I'm, Pat has no idea. I'm projecting what my commentary out into is. space. I, I make yeah. a picture, and then like Adam could write anything. I'll never know. I have I have on occasion offered alternative interpretations of of your art for the week of, for the month as my as my message. That is the ten dollar and above supporters, and we also like to thank them on air. So thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, to Patrick Yago, to Michael McGrath, Jason Westaver, and our most recent ten dollar supporter Nina Bojnak. Uh So thank glad all, to yes. have you all. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoy those postcards. Uh, and, you know, I know you do. I've gotten feedback. You guys love those postcards. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Lost and Criterion if you want to get in on that support. If you want to see the postcards before committing to supporting us for them, you can head over to Redbubble.com and search for Lost and Criterion. You can see uh, most of the entire back catalog of postcards. There's a couple that got takedown notices via Redbubble that they did not uh, they did not go to bat for us. I do put them up on a little bit of a delay to make sure that our supporters get them and can enjoy them before they go up for sale to the general public. Uh, you can buy them there as postcards, as greeting cards, uh, as stickers, as magnets, uh, and occasionally as buttons. Uh, so you know the holiday season is coming up. So if you want, if you want to use uh, one of Pat's weird postcards, I'm, I'm as, telling uh, you, man, your grandmother your holiday is going greeting to card. love a, a an interesting graphic of Gary Old. He's dashing. He is dashing, and it's it's weird and angular. I, it's and actually one delightful. of my favorite ones I've ever done. Check out uh, Lost in Criterion on Redbubble if you want to take a look at the postcards, or come support us at Patreon.com/slash/LostInCriterion. But even if you can't support us, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. This week, we are finishing up the human condition. I uh, refuse. After this week, we will not have to deal with the human God, condition so whatsoever. We will have finally, will have oh. finally ascended. <sighs> we will have ascended, and we will not have to think about your puny flesh bodies anymore. <laughs> oh, uh, can't no. stop rubbing my head. Um, <laughs> no, no, I mean, we are, like, it got progressively harder to, like, it did. get into each one. Like, you're like, okay. I just have to do this. Pat, you have to force hey. yourself to do this. This is like going to the gym or something. You're going to go. You're going to deal with it. You don't want to, but you have to. You have an obligation. Pat, as hard as it was for us to get through the final film the way we consume this, can you imagine sitting down to try try to just uh, shotgun all, all oh, nine hours and 38 minutes of this? But keep in mind that we're also doing it wrong because I guarantee you audiences were never intended for that either. You were supposed to see it a year fucking later. Right, 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 right. You were supposed right. to have a year off one... between them. At which, yeah. at which, over which the the sheer like horrible weight of it all sort of will evaporate a little bit and give you some some relief. Honestly speaking, the one of the things I get into when we watch these kind of movies is I'm like, you know how there's like those podcasts like how did this get made? What I really want to know is how this got made, not because it's like a yeah. bad like particularly bad or anything. It's like who greenlit this. Yeah, because no, like, we're actually interested in the logistics of how this got made. Yeah, right? like legitimately, like the actual answer to that question, because like, like 
Some studio executive had to be like, yeah, this seems like a reasonable thing to spend our time and energy on. You're not wrong, but like, why? <laughs> like, because like, this doesn't seem like it could sell a lot of tickets to movies. Yeah. Especially by the time you get to the third one. Although, I mean, apparently, like, audiences really dug it. But, like, every Wikipedia says that. The, every Wikipedia is either like, oh, audiences were into it, or audiences loathed it and threw things at the screen. There seems to be no in-between <laughs> on Wikipedia at all. I don't know how my, how soon pre-production started after the release of the first novel. Well, it wasn't that much time because it's 56 and then we get our first movie in 59. Film in 59. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it couldn't have been very long. With the last book coming out in 58... I don't have a particular month date for that, but I mean, your maximum amount of time is three years, right? Like at at most, it's three years if like the timing works out perfectly, which is which mirrors the first book, right? Like the first book is like fifty nine. Book was released in sixty. It like really feels like oh, it just takes us three years to turn these books into movies. Like that's how long it takes. But that also means that they bought the rights to that book, fucking like immediately after it was released, like. People liked it. People read it or whatever, and they're like, "We need to make a movie of this." Pronto. Yeah, would it? I don't know. It it I mean, seems like just logistically, it couldn't possibly have been like that. Like they had to have yeah. waited until it became something that people connected with, and then decided yeah. to do it. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm fascinated by the whole thing because, like, also, like, I understand that, like movie making goes through phases and stuff but i have trouble imagining any movie industry in history being like all in on the idea of like this kind of movie (laughs) you know what i mean like everything about the supposition here is like so out of context for what i expect from movie and like any movie industry that being said apparently it became a bestseller right the novel became a bestseller but i don't know how long that took i don't have any yeah we, i, I mean like the the english wikipedia sales. page is like literally one sentence i'm gonna go check yeah. the japanese real fast um i mean so the japanese page it. is longer but not by much um you can find anything deeper on that but yeah this is the final the final film our final experience with it uh subtitled this one a soldier's prayer the first one has our main character uh kaji played by tasuya nakadai uh, phenomenally he uh the first one if uh, you didn't listen to those episodes or see the movie uh he takes a job running well not quite running but in management of uh, ore mine in rural manchuria and is put in charge of some chinese prisoners of war who are being forced into labor and he takes this job thinking that if he treats them well he can undo the entire <laughs> japanese military machine apparently <laughs> Right, but also he takes it because he doesn't want to be in the war himself. But mostly he takes it as as we talked about this complication uh, to uh, because he will get a uh, a draft deferral uh, in taking this job. Um, He uh, goofs that up enough uh, that uh, he loses his draft deferral as punishment for trying to be nice to the Chinese soldiers, but also he's not very good at being nice to the Chinese soldiers or POWs no. rather, prisoners. No, he's um, not. Yeah. Well, POWs, yes. I mean, technically only, only by the fact that that's how they're, how these random right, people, right, that right. they just essentially yeah, whether, found in the woods. Are being yeah, whether or not any of them were actually fighting is up for question because it really seems like a lot of them are just random laborers that they, arrested for being soldiers uh in in lots of lots right of so they could force them yeah. into slavery basically yeah i mean 
To be fair, like, you know, we do see a, a marked difference between them and what we see as POWs later in the movie, where every POW is essentially right. in uniform, at least when they start. Our Chinese soldiers here are just, like, in, like, random clothes. Right. And it's like, hmm, this yeah. seems suspicious. Probably not okay. soldiers. And I think we're supposed to be suspicious of that, right? Like, it even tells 100%. us at times that, like, yeah. this is probably not uh, real. Movie two, then, uh, he has been drafted, and he is going through training, and things are not great, uh, but he is a super good private for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, he's an excellent yeah, he's, shooter. Uh, we need. Uh, yeah, which, he's a very whatever. he's a very good shot, uh, the best in his unit, uh, but is still in in number two. He becomes a uh, a stickler for regulation, as if that will save everyone. Uh, I don't so know. insists on on people who. Uh, are violent outside of army regulation uh, should be punished because they're breaking regulation. Uh, people should be punished according to regulation so that uh, those who are being punished aren't overly punished. Uh, and he, he sort of uh, just, yeah, he just sticks to the word of the rules as if that will save him uh, and, or save anybody. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it, I mean it's it's one yeah. of the more baffling parts of the entire movie that like I don't yeah. know. And what also, it is. turns out that doesn't work. Uh, and uh, and Shocking. movie two ends with a uh, battle sequence uh, in which he is left virtually alone uh, behind enemy lines, wandering around yelling for anyone. Uh, and now we're in movie three, uh, which opens basically right after number two ends. Uh, he has a couple of his unit are still alive and with him, and it is uh, them walking back to the front, uh, and then at some point deciding maybe we'll just walk home instead of walking back to the front. Uh, Which is a fascinating idea to me because it's like, well, I mean, you're probably going to have to pass through right, one right, to right, get to right, the other, right. first of all. And second of all, like, I mean – home is so such a weirdly nebulous ter- like they keep talking about going home it's like well you're eventually you're gonna need somebody right. there's like because you're not there's gonna a walk the there's a sea between you and home, home. <laughs> yeah so i keep like trying to process what they're saying and i'm like i know what you're doing but i'm like well if like russia and china have already like overtaken the entire man mainland asian con- like you don't know what's going right. on like you're walking towards nothing, yeah. essentially. Like you have no way even, to comprehend. What's even if going they could on. feasibly make like, it to the coast, uh, what's what's their plan when they get to the coast? Home? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's and, what know, I'm trying to figure out. Is generally, like, I, I think that the fact that this is not a well thought out plan and that they still are holding on to a nebulous hope for a system that does not exist. Right, is, yeah. is part of what's going on here. It's fascinating because Kaji makes a turn where he's like, well, I'll just believe it in yeah. the system, I guess, because he starts becoming a, a rules guy. And this is mostly about how that also seems to, that is mostly seems to be about that also failing right. him. Like, and it's fascinating because like, um, like it's like, well, well, you've become a rules guy. Like, well, I mean, I'll just rely on this system that I'm, should be dead certain has collapsed right that just doesn't exist and it's like but like he makes a turn and then it's like well we're going to also watch how that turn is not going to work out and it's like 
it's like the movie wants to it, like well, I mean of course the movie comes full circle right because right. like that's the whole the whole thing right Kaji becomes the thing he was trying to nominally trying to protect in the beginning I'm kind of disturbed that the movie decided to have him take a like a hard turn in the middle and then like kind of re do another round of him just having that new world view destroyed it's like I don't know that like that was a turn that made a lot of sense or one that like we needed to watch collapse with, with the breadth of what this movie in its in totality is doing the mm-hmm. middle section where it explicitly undermines that liberal impulse of uh and we talked about this last week like MLK's be true to what you say on paper uh critique of american politics of of the all men right. created equal that that the laws are good as long as the laws are enforced. It's not true. <laughs> it's just not yeah. true. <laughs> but like the thing is, like, but that, but to me, like, what now, I now now okay. there is a difference because because MLK is saying the the spirit of the law is true and the spirit of the law is is good. And right, true. and MLK right. is very specifically talking about a document that says a bunch of shit that <laughs> right, doesn't right, actually. Right, right. That none of the people right, who wrote it right. believed, and, is, and that is part like, of part of the rhetorical point of what he is saying is is that right. no one's ever <laughs> right. actually believed. We, this we brought stuff. this up last week. <laughs> yeah, and and whereas on the other hand, it's like, well, now you're just talking about army right, regulations, right. which are like not aspirational no, documents not. even in, in any right. form, right? Um, and so it's weird. But my problem is this. Okay, I, I think I've been trying to wrestle with this last week, and I never really articulated myself super well last week. Mainly because I kind of got yeah. angry at the movie yeah. and just sort of gave up. Uh, and then this week I had to sort of re-wrestle with it. The problem I'm having is nominally, like sort of within the boundaries of the movie, Kaji's already more radical than the thing he has turned into in the second half of the movie. What I mean is is that he's not a lot, but like, and he definitely believes in this sort of liberal world order that doesn't exist for him, but like he believes in it. What I mean is is that like, we're you know you're we talking about with the MLK and the you know the you know about like being true to what you know is in the in the rules and the document or whatever again not actually the same thing but as we talked about but he goes what feels like to me like backwards yeah. and sort of gets on that train when what he experienced should have only radicalized right. him more not like but he like takes a step backwards which doesn't feel true to my understanding of how radicalization generally works in that like you hit a roadblock and it makes right, you right, angry. Right. It's not not like I know what I'll do. I'll follow all the how, rules. It's not how say you or I have general react generally reacted in right. those situations. But right. it is and, and like most of the people I know who are are yeah. relatively radical hit kept hitting roadblocks by trying to follow the rules and got angrier and angrier at about that how all that function. Whereas he's like, well, I'll try to transform the system from inside. I know the system's bad, but I'm going to try to help it from the inside slash also not go to the army. And then, like, he runs into this really serious, like, roadblock, and his answer is, well, I know what I'll do. I'll start following all the rules. Well, okay. I just don't understand. There is a reason Merim Kaba has that quote, uh, let this radicalize you rather than lead you to despair, is the fact that oftentimes people are led to despair. At the, at the I, same time. I understand that. But, like, I don't and know. This doesn't, like, when we get to the second half of this movie, it doesn't feel like at the beginning of it, Kaji's despairing. Per I, se. I think. He seems to be pretty. I think retreating into a normalcy of 
following the rules Maybe. is its own form of despair. I can see that. It, that is not that is not text. And we did talk about how that is not he necessarily was. textually explicit in the second movie. Uh, but there's not a lot of yeah. things about Kaji's feelings that are necessarily textually explicit. Well, and I think th- I think that's uh, where we run into a problem is that for a movie that is as long and as expansive as this is, it oftentimes seems to fail to convey to me what Ka- like what Kaji's actually feeling until we get to the yeah. third movie where we just start getting right, voiceover right, right, all the right, time. Right, right. Yeah, um, where it takes a, a pretty different tick. So, so movie three, we get Kaji just wants to go home. Kaji wants to go back to his wife. Yeah. Uh, Kaji will help whoever needs to be helped. Uh, but at the same time, we get one particular scene in the third movie where Kaji once again fails to stop an execution, uh, where they stumble upon that army unit who tells them that they're going to go meet up with uh, the Chinese anti-communists. And he gets the two people who come to his camp that night who say, we want to go with you, not with our unit. Right. And then those two are captured at the meeting point and the the commander puts them to death has lashed them has tied them to right. a pole and is having his number two come at them with a with a sword and it is yeah. kaji once again stands there he makes again a rhetorical flourish to try to save them i guess well it's because yeah we we find out most of this this movie is basically kaji has learned nothing yes like <laughs> right. it, like down the whole line this is just kaji has not evolved really as a person right at all he's not made any strides towards understanding what he needs to do and then after the executions have taken place tange uh kaji's friend who they run back into in mm-hmm. this sequence too shoots the executioner which is what kaji should have done before the execution yep. took place and uh, like and it and and that's i think one if there's anything that this movie actually has is it's a whole bunch of other people learning lessons while kaji doesn't or or at least like taking action Kaji didn't even necessarily need to actually shoot the man more more just be willing to threaten to shoot the man i think in that right, moment yeah. would have made more sense for who he was uh, and where he was. Kaji's ideals continue to lead to death around him. I don't know. The pragmatic choice of saving the rice when they're first lost in the woods with those uh, with those civilians, where where they have just enough rice left that he decides that the rice will be for the survivors when they get out of the woods as everyone's starving to death and going mad while trying to get out of the woods is... <sighs> I guess a pragmatic, greater good, utilitarian choice. Well, I, but that's I, that's one of I the failures of utilitarianism. So there's that. Right. Yeah. The movie every so often will sprinkle in sprinkle in like fairly interesting critiques, just like yeah. randomly, yeah. without them necessarily being coherent to the overall <laughs> right. like commentary of the movie. Yeah, that one's fascinating because like in reality, right, like what you're doing is essentially creating a sort of a a nightmare Darwinist philosophy. Like, Kaji in that moment buys into 100% essentially fascist rhetoric where he's like, well, whoever's strong enough to survive this, they're the ones who are going to get to eat. Right. It's like, well, yeah, but you know what? Like, guess who's, like, guess what kind of state of being that's going to create? Right. right. Like, better, better to just all eat it now and then, well, at least, I mean, then you won't have any reason you're trying to kill each other all the fucking time. Right. And the movie does make a point of showing us the people who die because of that action are both good and bad people, morally yeah. speaking, in, in the film's yeah. universe. And, you know, complete innocence. Uh, children die because of that action. Yep. Uh, babies die. Well, I mean, I, and, and, and that is a whole other fascinating thing because, like, I keep running into the fact that, like, I can't figure out 
what Kaji actually at any point in time truly believes. Yeah. In those moments, you're just like, I don't know what you think is like the good thing to right. do here, but you're you're certainly not doing good things here per se. I know what commentators and the movie's producers have told me what Kaji believes. Right. But Kaji's actual implemented actions at any given point in this movie are at best inconsistent and a an ideology that consistently would explain his actions is an evil one. Yeah, well, yeah, we run into that problem, right? And then we run into the thing that in reality, right, exactly, like Kaji is, in, is essentially inherently de- deleterious to the people around yeah. him. Kaji not only hurts himself, but actively hurts other people around him through his actions based on essentially ideals, but they're not really, as we said, we can't really identify exactly yeah. what they are. But yeah, they, they have a negative impact on everyone around him all the time. I don't know how the lack of rationing in that first forest sequence paints Kaji as anything but selfish. Yeah, he's he's saving it for all of the survivors, but under the premise that he will be one of the survivors, the unspoken Right, premise. yeah, no, I mean, that's, I mean, Kaji, keep in mind that that's, in its own sort of moral way, basically identical to the trip out to the to the Chinese work right. camp, right? Right. He is. Is this like well he is protecting I mean, himself once again? It, 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 Kaji comes number one in Kaji's book, yeah. <laughs> like always, yeah. which is like, yeah, that's true. People do act that way, but like it makes the sort of entire thrust of the movie feel more that like Kaji is kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth all the time, essentially. Right. Like Kaji is essentially always protecting number one while talking about the greater good. There are like maybe 30 seconds (laughs) as Kaji swings from what he is to being disillusioned with his idea of the Soviets. There's like 30 seconds where he's, (laughs) where he's within an acceptable socialist definition, I think. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, right. Yeah. like Kaji's, I, I what I find most fascinating though about the entire movie, and I don't, I, I assume this is on purpose. Yeah, I it has to be. It's probably like I said, it feels like it's the only thing close to approaching like true critique within the movie is the fact that like the Soviets accuse Kaji of all the things that I accused Kaji of <laughs> earlier in the film. Like earlier in the two, like, where it's like, so you ran, you read death camps, yes? Like right. that's what you did. Yeah. Like, yeah, like whether or not you were trying to make them better or not, you were implicit, you were complicit in right. death camps. Like, and then it's like, oh, did you lay down your arms when you found out that you had lost? No, you continue to kill our troops for like, and <laughs> and therefore prolong the thing that is happening right now. Yeah. Oh, you did, huh? Huh, it sure seems like you're a bad guy. <laughs> did you did you kill Chinese people who weren't part of the war? After after after, uh, after essentially your role in the war was over. Oh, you did, did huh. you? Weird. Yeah, it's like and then all, and all you're like, "Yes, Kaji, you're a war criminal." Yeah. Congratulations. Now we talked during the first one that very low class yeah. war criminal on the relative right. scale, but We talked in the first one that uh, Kabayashi had made another film explicitly about how the only war criminals who ever got punished were the low-level cogs in the machine, like yeah, Kaji. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally accurate. Right. True to true to, to the life. I do like the other half of the Soviet accusations where they aren't true. Is is what <laughs> what we two movies ago were yelling at Kaji that he should be doing, actively sabotaging. <laughs> right, but like the one place he shouldn't actually probably 
be doing sabotage yeah. is in this. Yeah, but he's also work not camp, actually like, doing sabotage within the work camp. Right. No, I you know. know. It's it, it's a whole yeah. mess. It's that that one's all kind of weird because in that part we're put in a position where Kaji's existence gets far more existential in its yeah. in its crisis in the sense that like he has no actual ability to influence the world around him basically at all, right? Because everything's mediated through people who he has no way to influence what they what they do, right? And so at that point, like probably Kaji's best plan of action is to just fucking like head down and yeah. try to get through it. I mean like legitimately speaking, because the interpreter is at best incompetent, but more likely corrupt. Yeah. Making the outcomes that he wants. Now mind you, I, I have trouble with the entire scenario because like the Soviets exclusively relying on this one obviously not very reliable interpreter seems a bit iffy anyway. Even the one good Soviet never seems to question that that the interpreter might be lying yeah. to them. Yeah, I, I find that very troubling because I feel like in my heart I would always question whether or not like this person is actually telling me what's being told. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and then the, we're not gonna we're not gonna draw anything on a piece of paper, we're not gonna write anything out or try to figure this out in any other capacity. Yeah. We're gonna trust this guy implicitly. And cool. then the and then the uh his response after the interrogation is like, You seem really upset. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, don't know what that's about, but hey, the relationship of the Soviets is obviously very interesting because Kaji still has an implicit respect for the person, and and that man is shown to be the best of the best of the party. But he's also he is the thing he that Kaji wants yeah. him to be yeah. actually. Yeah, like there's a barrier there. There's an interpret. There's a there's a fundamental like block there. Yeah, but like this guy legitimately basically is a Kaji. Yeah. But seems to be doing a better job of it in general. He's Although, the, I mean, the workers are definitely starving. So no, he really is the Kaji of of the Soviet side. He is. He's a he's a true believer in his politics. So he's better than Kaji in that moment, I think. Uh, but he is someone who walks around saying, "Hey, don't be abusive," but also has not made any like actual yeah, material changes. Stop making it in that abusive. whole prison camp sequence. Another interesting dig at Kaji is that he continues to inspire other people to do things that are detrimental to themselves. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Like, like Tarada. It's just what Kaji does. Yeah. Kaji is, is detrimental to all yeah. the people around him. He tells Tarada to pretend to be sick to go dig out scraps so that they can they can survive on the scraps. And that's, you know, it is a material good that everyone can survive on the scraps that Tarada... But Tarada becomes fanatical about getting them. Even before he becomes fanatical, he gets dysentery from it because right. he's digging through the latrine, uh, basically. Right. And then he ultimately reaches his death because he feverishly decides that he needs to get more. You know. Well, let, but let us not let us not downplay the fact that he is that murdered. Other guy he is murdered. Killed him. <laughs> like that other guy yes, murdered him. Yes. Well, and that's where we keep running into the the translation barrier, producing extra sort of fascinating phenomenon right because like i legitimately believe based on the fact that nearly every soviet that we encounter in in a command position has also expressed that we should not be harming a, a really serious meaningful difference here is that the other guy who is interrogating kaji while more of a firebrand in general also clearly tells his men like you're not to engage in physical violence towards your prisoners yeah straight to their face like doesn't doesn't mince words or anything says you are not to do that which makes me feel that if the interpreter had actually told them what kaji said it very likely that 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 guy would have actually maybe actually received some sort of disciplinary right 
You know what I mean? Their reliance on this single interpreter creates this environment where they maybe on purpose don't want to know what's going on or just don't have it in them to try to figure it out. Right. Here's here's the the real problem. And this is this is I mean honestly a problem with the Soviet system period. Uh, but yeah. but one that gets accurate here is that any system of justice built on punishment, whether under the auspices absolutely, of capitalism totally. or communism, yeah. leads is, to is these atrocities. Fundamentally flawed. Period. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's 100% true. It cannot be just. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, we you run into this thing where, like, it's a minor thing, but yeah. in the end, so, like, if they had actually heard what Kaji said, I have a feeling that right. Whether, it probably would not have worked out like the Chinese uh, work yeah. camps worked Whether out. Whether or not uh, our, our, our true believer Soviet official or any of the military command also involved with all of that, uh, whether or not they actually believe that any individual soldier under their command is committing atrocities, and they are, and they're ignoring it, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, they are still establishing a system where prisoners of war are being forced to do labor, hard labor. Yeah, 100%. Hard labor. Yeah. And then we, we run into this yeah. all the time. But, hard yeah. labor as punishment uh, to uh, <laughs> to build up the Soviet war machine as they as they continue their push against the Japanese. Well, oddly enough, it seems like their primary role seems to be taking the some other war machine apart, which is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Not relevant, but Actually, fascinating. Actually, no, that is, that is true because they do they a lot of reclamation. They appear to be taking apart the Japanese war machine, I believe. because yeah, they're, they're pulling apart locomotives. They're tearing up I think they are they're literally put to the... Which, again, I agree. Which, which actually, you know, it's framed... Well, so... Okay. Yeah. They are... <laughs> They are dismantling. If they the are thing actually that, yeah. dismantling their thing, the fact that it is still a punishment is an issue. But it is a, uh, it is them, uh, literally <laughs> repenting in a in a manner. Right, and and what I what I think is where we run into the issue. I think in that scenario is not so much the, is more probably more of a humanitarian thing of just like, well, if you can't. Yes. The punishment should not be, if you are going to go into a punitive system, the punishment should not be starving to death. Yes, yes, yes. The punishment the, should be, the repentance, you're going to take apart the, the thing you're going yeah, to build. The repentance build. needs to happen in a in a system of uh, consent, well, <laughs> right. of at least. Well, you're not going to consent. Yeah, I mean, of at least uh, uh, protection and health care. Um, right. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. totally. It's. Uh, you know, so that so that the people that you're trying to get to not be uh, warmongers uh, understand that they shouldn't be warmongers instead of just uh, increasing a cycle of revenge fantasy uh, or active revenge. Uh, right. That uh, that continues and continues. Um, the cinematographer, I think I mentioned this uh, in the first episode, uh, but the cinematographer, uh, Yoshio Mayajima, uh, was a devout communist. Uh, and Kabayashi feared that he'd object to some of the portrayals of Soviets throughout the movie. Although I think the Soviets actually come up pretty good in this movie, if I'm going to be honest. Where that particularly comes up is when they throw the woman off the back of the truck. Right. That is that is explicitly the scene that Kobayashi Absolutely. was talking about yeah. when uh, when he brings up that. So, okay, so that brings up a really fascinating point. And a, a thing that we have to sort of talk about in general is... What's fascinating, one of the fascinating elements of Kaji, he believes in a sort of um, 
version of the Soviet Union that is a sort of version of the Soviet Union that the Soviet Union hardliner Politburo guy that's in on staff here would believe about the Soviet yeah. Union. Yeah. Which is a fascinating thing for any human being, especially one who well, exists outside of that system. I, I understand people do get in, that way. In I 30s, totally 40s, 50s, that. it is the leftist intellectual view of the Soviet Union. I understand that. Across the it's, board, it's just, across the world. I understand that. And, and, and my my issue is just that like you run into this fascinating thing where it's like, I, I, I don't know. And, and, it's, and it's mostly a hindsight as us being who we are, where we are, and everything like that. The idea that the Soviet Union is also not made up of people, but like glorious members of the Communist Party who don't like do bad things. It's yeah. like like the idea that that Soviet soldiers are not going to also commit war crimes is like that in some way. I, what I mean where I'm going with this is this idea well, that like what they've done is perfect the person rather than come up with a system that is just better at administering to it. I don't know. It's a fascinating thing you run into. You do run into it even now, totally now you still absolutely run into it nowadays. But like the idea that like kind of crossing the wires between the system and the people in the system, you know what I mean? Where you're like, well, I mean this system is better. So the people who are doing it must also be better is a, is a, is a weird sort of, uh, like magical thinking sort of backflip to go through. You know what I mean? They're like, well, I mean, they're part of a better system, so they must be better people. One of the other bonus features is Masahiro Shinoda talking about the movie. And one of the things he brings up as his sort of interpretation of the movie is that Kaji isn't against war per se, but against militarism. Okay, yeah. Keeping that in mind, if the point of the movie is that the militarism... And the particular war machine of Japan can turn even well-meaning good people into monsters. It makes sense that the movie would make that same argument for the Soviet machine. More subtly, right. perhaps. Yeah. And certainly does not devote as much time to it. But Well, yeah, but it's also not a movie about the Soviets explicitly. It's a movie about Japan explicitly. So, Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I think he's... I don't, I don't know that person. Uh, I don't know where that where that particular brain disease comes from, but uh, yeah, the the idea of well, like I mean, you can fight wars for good reasons, but militarism itself, the the phenomenon of militarism is bad, is um, is an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, it's, listen, uh, it's not. It's just war theory, you know. It's 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 in the West right. from well, way I back know, too. Know, like, so it's like yeah, you know, yeah, you're it's, right. It's there are good wars. Uh, and good wars yeah. should oh, be man. fought, uh, and bad wars should not be fought. Um, and it, you know, to a certain extent, I suppose, I I I maybe just draw that line a lot more closer um, than well, than right? I mean, I but, suppose, I suppose, yes, you could probably identify for me the war that is just. I just don't know what it would be, and I don't yeah. know how you would fight it justly. But like, right, right. Uh, I feel like that's probably inherently a contradicting contradiction in and of itself. But like. Um, yeah, no, it's just it's just interesting because like that because that to me that line of thinking is I I guess we're really what we're running into is that line of thinking is so diseased in my mind yeah that I can't I I'm getting to the point where I have a disconnect where I just cannot comprehend what the what the movie's trying to say or what the characters think like if the movie's trying to also kind of make that point. I don't I don't know how to relate to it. I don't know 
like where to like how to even start really unpacking it because it's like I mean I guess you made that point yeah movie like yeah I guess you're right like yeah but that militarism is bad uh, that certainly yeah. doesn't make this the most powerful anti-war film even no, even within in Japan capacity uh, like no yeah as we said we've already yeah. seen yeah. And movies of course, that are a million times more effective at being anti-war than yeah. this movie. Again, whatever whatever Shinoda is offering here, it is his his view of the yeah, film. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, but I can also see it. I, yeah. I can see that as that makes a lot of sense. I don't agree with the premise of the entire thing, but I think Shinoda might be right on the money as to what the movie's trying to say. Yeah, which and is... what Kaji believes. Which, unfortunately, is a, a twist and contradiction of what other commentary and other people involved with the movie have said that the movie is trying to say because it, but I because would at that point it it becomes a movie that is anti Japanese militarism not anti-war let's be clear here I'm pretty sure this movie we talked about this in film one yeah that is that is at best what this movie is <laughs> that is, is true. A, that is fair <laughs> like in legitimate legitimately that is what the movie is being and and we talked about this in like kind of really sort of a little bit more meta context earlier in the first film this movie I, I this is where i keep running into this I, I really recently especially with this film where like the anti-japanese military films i think we've encountered other ones and i think a lot of them are not actually anti-war they are anti the japanese military establishment because everything i've ever a lot of what i have read has always been that like that was the takeaway that a lot of people got out of it was yeah. like they lied to us. They tricked us into doing this. This was this is the military's fault. Where we were, we were yeah. sort of sold a bill of goods, that sort of thing. And and what that always comes with that that statement always comes with a sort of like underlying current of. But if we had won, we wouldn't be saying any of this. Right. It makes sense why internally people would see a message like that and call it anti-war. And it makes sense why right. internationally people would see a message like that and call it anti-war. But it is not actually anti-war. It reminds me actually a lot of uh, the Terrence Malick movie, A Hidden Life, that came out a couple years ago. And The Hidden Life I is— I never saw it. It's also long. Uh, but it is it's about it's <laughs> okay. about an Austrian named Franz uh, Jagerstrader, uh, who has been uh, I don't know if he's been I don't think he's been sainted yet, uh, but he has been been honored on on the road to sainthood. And he is someone who is beheaded by the Nazis for uh, for being a conscientious objector. And Malik's portrayal and a general understanding of Jagerstrader that oftentimes comes up is that he was against war. But he was not against war. He was against the Nazis. And he was against he was against the the Nazi understanding of war and the Nazi justifications for war. He did right. not view World War II or or at least the side of World War II he would have ended up on as a just war and that's why he objected and that's why he was murdered. And again, that's an anti-war movie that maybe should have should have been out. Well, this and, movie. And so ended, that's what we're running right? into is it, and uh, that I was kind of where but, I was going to mentally go with this is that like if you are a society that inherently buys into the fundamental premise of just war theory. Yeah. Which we all belong to one. Right. Right. Everyone here, <laughs> including you guys listening, that makes it so much easier to cross those wires because the only war you can really be anti-war to is the unjust war. Right, right. No right. one would be no one would be against the just war. Yeah. It, it becomes a part of the sort of like the sort of um 
kind of the dialectic of the whole thing, right? Is it like, well, we've already assumed that there's such a thing as a war that is good. Yeah. So movie people who are against the bad wars are anti-war. No, you know what I mean? Like there's a you kind of yeah. create this environment. You essentially eliminate an entire category of people who would be against even what you're calling the just war because they they're not entities. They don't exist or if they do exist they're just they're just lunatics. And we lived in that. We you we all think about how that machine comes and gets turned on, right? Like we we all live through well, I mean, we all, you and I, <laughs> yes, well, both through 9-11. All right. I anyone, mean, most of our audience probably Anyone American and conscious well. in 2001 has certainly lived through. Right. Um, right. I, that's, I mean, I guess it's possible we have... Yeah. We're, we're far enough away from that. We could actually have people listening to this who did not, in right, fact, right, live right, through 9-11. Right, right, that's right, my right. point. I, and I, and I, I realized, like, oh, they would not be, like, 12 years old at this point. They are, like, full-on adults. Yeah. Yeah, turns adult out lives. turns out it takes, turns my out brain's you could not be born after 9/11 well. and be 20 years old now. Pat. Yeah, my brain's <laughs> not handling time super great yeah, these days. Yeah, um, we're old. But Sorry. Like, yeah, uh, my my point is is that we living through 9/11, right? We saw that machine get turned on and, we, and where it created the concept of this is the just war. We're going right. to create the environment where anybody who says this isn't a just war, who anybody who is anti this war isn't anti-war. They're crazies yeah who like hate america because because this war is so clearly the just war that right that exactly. only an insane person would reject this war or an evil person an insane or evil right person. an evil that yeah you're very, right it's actually yeah. that's what it is it's an evil person who also hates god yeah let's be very yeah. clear here because yeah. we also turn on the, the religious rhetoric had to. at the same time had to. the obvious rhetorical flip side of that is well, a movie that is against unjust war is an anti-war movie. Yeah. And like a movie that is against what we viewed, what we have categorized as an unjust war, very specifically, yeah. is an anti-war movie. Because, because keep in mind, we're, we're not buying into the premise of just war. Right. But, but all the people who are doing critique are. So like, oh, well, these people are against a war we've declared as unjust. Yeah. So, hey, guess what? They're on our anti-war. We're all anti-war here. So everybody hears anti-war. So that maybe brings us back to something we definitely talked about during the first movie, but I think we lost a little on the last movie. The Japanese leftist leftist critics who called this movie nothing more than sentimental humanism. Yeah, I mean they're totally right. And again, they maintain they're absolutely 100% they continue correct. to be right as we as we finish I mean, the third movie. I disagree with their with their rather wide use of the of what can be occasionally a precise term of humanism, but yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Now, like, there are plenty of actually anti-war humanists, yeah. like a lot of them, actually. Yeah. But never mind. That's not, like, truly anti-war, not just anti-war machine yeah. or whatever the hell that means. Now, but. now Shinoda, in his commentary, does recognize that the uh, final act of this movie is anti-Stalinist, not anti-socialist or communist, more generally. Um, right. Uh, and that's, you know, the movie. That's good. Movie. I guess that's a nice one. <laughs> yeah. At least the movie does do that, uh, and and the movie sort of sells that with what with the uh, with the twelve foot tall portrait of Stalin <laughs> overlooking yeah, yeah, yeah. overlooking the criminal proceeding here, or I'm sorry, the not a criminal proceeding here because they are explicit. The Soviet command is yeah. explicit, even as the translator refuses to uh, translate that part. There is, however, the big the big don't give up for communism or whatever sign <laughs> over the entire camp right, yeah, to yeah. Um, fight on for communism i think it's 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 translation within oh. the movie but again that's that same that's that's that soviet rhetoric you know of, of framing this as as 
the only true leftism. But like that's the thing, right? Is the movie has so little time left for all of that. And Kaji's in so many ways actually divorced from that mm-hmm. by the sort of insult like layer of insulation that's formed around him. That it all that all that commentary reads as kind of hollow because like we don't have any way we don't have a character through whom we can engage with that actually, right? right. Because Kaji his internal monologue is all built on having no access to any information. You, you know what I mean? Like, Kaji is at this point an unreliable narrator of his own existence. Right. There might as well not be a Soviet camp, basically, in the sense that, like, we don't know... We know so much more than Kaji knows, and what we know hardly counts... Barely crowns his critique anyway. Yeah, but but Kaji and Tange do end up having that conversation. Yeah, you know when they're when they're in the woods pulling apart the railway. Kaji points out that exploiting the labor and trying to reeducate us shouldn't be the Soviet way. That most POWs are not enemies in the class war. Uh, but then he also points out that the guards in their current position are surviving under the same circumstances that they are surviving. They're sleeping on the ground. They're eating the same rations. Even if he says they seem smug and mean about it, they would feel smug and mean because they are they are the only guards who are not getting special treatment. It's, right. This yeah, is a punishment yeah, the detail for are, them, they too. They are the ones who... You know, and, and Tange makes his argument back that the present stage of the world is a very Marxist-Lenist argument. The present stage of things calls for a Soviet first policy. Which, you know, is complete wankery as far as I'm concerned. But sure, why not? Uh, well, yeah, this, no, I mean, it is. It is and, the, and also bear in mind that it's coming from a person who's no more informed right, about right, what's right. going on than Kaji. Yeah. Like, neither of them have access to any information, right? They they see their material conditions that they're in. Yeah. And those material conditions are bad. Right. And that's really their only frame of reference. And the, there's no one's arguing with them that those material conditions aren't bad. Right. Right? Like... We we are not as an audience going to disagree with them. They know it. We know it. And and yeah. so they're formulating a hypothesis based on that, which is not wrong necessarily. But at the same time, it's like well, but they they extrapolate that so far out to apply to the Soviet Union as a whole, which is a fascinating. You know what I mean? Like they they extrapolate their their current material conditions in a in a way that like we do see it other times earlier in the movie. And, and it, it is very parallel to the Chinese prisoners. And, and if we take it as a parallel, we can understand that, like, yeah, the Soviet system is is just corrupt all the way through. Because, you know, in the beginning when we're dealing with the Chinese prison, prisoners, they're like, oh, well, you like all of you guys want to murder us. That's all you want. Like it, yeah. it's extrapolating their material conditions to apply to all every Japanese person who is alive on earth at that point. Right, right, right. And 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 to a certain extent, Kaji is is engaged in the same activity, which is understandable, right? Like his material conditions are extremely bad right now. Yes. And they shouldn't be. Same as those those prisoners shouldn't have had extremely bad material conditions. Right. And and you know, again, the movie's meant to go full circle, right? That's the point, right? Yeah. The movie goes full circle. And I think that's one of the riot reasons why we get this extremely well intentioned Politburo guy. Right. Is to make sure we all understand that like this is what Kaji was doing to those Chinese prisoners, right, right. basically. And then they were suffering and dying and he was telling them, But I'm fighting for you. The only difference is they got accurate translation. <laughs> Where where I feel like the, the Tanjay conversation is really interesting, though, is, uh, you know, after he says the present stage calls for a Soviet first policy, Kaji, Kaji responds, all you're saying is it can't be helped. 
it is what it is. And that's that's what everybody excuses the current conditions as. Right. Uh, and Tanjay's response to that, and basically in scene, I think, here, is uh, history will correct that, not you or me. That sort of go-slow mentality. Uh, right, which is shitty. Which is shitty, but... But, but bear but, in mind but that also, Kaji has used the... Yeah. But also what 1918... <laughs> Uh, Marxist Lenesis also pushed against that idea too, right? right? Because they were like, "No, right. we're not going to wait. <laughs> we're going to raise right. up. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to fight." But bear in mind also that, uh, kind of as a sort of uh, extra thing, there is that like Kaji has also essentially said that multiple times throughout the book. Right, 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 right. Like, oh well, it can't be helped. That's the condition that we're in right, right. now. It's no, like, he well, is. Yeah. He is literally. Kaji, you're just as guilty as this as everybody he else has is. Literally said that in the first. He movie. has literally said it. And but also he continues to enact that policy yes. time and time again throughout the entire movie. Right. Like he says it explicitly to the prisoners, but like but he he continues to yeah. enact that kind of idea. And he says to everybody. He says it essentially to the starving family in the woods in the first part of this Absolutely. movie. Absolutely, he does exactly. Right. They're not the only example, but it, throughout the second movie, he continues to. Yeah. Well, if we just push on and and. You go slow with this. We will. Yeah, it all get better. The turncoat, the bad, the bad Japanese underling in the POW camp. Yeah. Uh, his name is Kirahara. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's supposed to be a, a thing. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I don't. I didn't pay attention to the end to see like how it's actually written, but yeah, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, it is a reversal of Harakiri, right? Uh, as far as uh, literal syllables go. And it is, you know, it is in the sequence of Kaji killing Kirahara that Kaji says it takes too long to get rid of worthless men like you, and and so many good men die. Well, that's not happening, you know. It is right. It is, uh, you know, at least a a final note, uh, condemnation of the militarism, certainly, right, of right, the right. Japanese war machine. Um, but of any war machine. So his name is actually just like f- a field of uh, a certain kind of like tree. Okay, <laughs> is how that actually translates. I was like, one of the reasons I was having trouble is I didn't, I couldn't read that the kanji because it was like I've never, I don't ever see that. Yeah. So it's. Like, I think it is okay. sort of an interesting choice. You know, when we first hear the Russian singing, Kaji says, "Well, they must have, they must have something to hope in, to something yeah. to inspire them to sing," and then it is. Uh, in the immediate aftermath of Kaji killing Karahara or leaving him for dead, I suppose. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's presumably drowned. Beats, so yeah. beats the crap out of him and pushes him into a cistern. That guy's probably dead, but Kaji did yeah. not directly kill him, I suppose. Anyway, I mean, uh, yeah. Leaving that and Kaji's decision to escape in that moment, uh, we get the Russians singing, and it is a, a moment of hope. Being so focused on the Japanese war machine, I think this movie has certainly has things to say about the Soviet war machine, but uh, are maybe uh, more nuanced than what it's saying about Japan, too, uh, which is Yeah, and it also just doesn't spend enough time engaging with right, it to right, really, right. like, we as an audience just can't really get a lot out of it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't have time for that, basically, despite it being nine hours long. Yeah. It doesn't have time for that. And that's kind of where I get end up with this movie in general is that like I don't know that like we benefit from it being as long as it is. Yeah. Like any one of the individual stories we encounter here 
would I think to a certain extent almost be more impactful because it it's sort of like on its own digestible. You end up with this like and you encounter this with other sort of like hyper long form art. Is that like you've just done it so much that now I've kind of had to dissociate from it like a little bit to just like free myself from trying to have to ponder nine hours of material, right? I have to like sort of take at least a couple steps back, right? It's like have you ever have you ever like looked at one of those um I don't know if you've ever seen one, but like um when I was a university student, we went to I forget where we went. We went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, I think it was. Uh and they had on loan the longest scroll ever drawn or at least ex- extant like illustrated Chinese scroll ever made. Okay. And it's like it was like I think it was there. I can't remember. I think it was there. I'm 99% sure it was there. Uh, and it was like meters and meters and meters and meters long. Like, And you could never, there was no method by which you could digest it as a whole and get anything valuable out of it. Because if you wanted to actually see the whole thing, you would have to step, you had to stand like halfway across the room and everything was impossible to see. And if you wanted to actually get anything out of it, like any sort of like, other than the sort of grandeur of the whole thing, you immediately you had to walk close enough that you could individually start to digest individual portions of it. Right. Which by by nature sort of defeated the the whole thing. It's sort of a self defeating in its in its conception, right? Like the point here was to just be like, look how long of a thing yeah. we made, right? Which is fine. Right. Well but one point here is to create a largely accurate adaptation. Of the source material. Do you think this movie would have been better released in six parts instead of three? I mean, would I have preferred it? Maybe just because it would have been even easier. But because yeah. I, I mean, they are essentially each individual movies. But I would say there are there are at least two that would not function as individual movies, and that's part no, they would part not. five, the first half of this one, yeah, and probably I I think part part three, the first half of the last one. Don't yeah, no, I totally buy. Movies. I totally buy that, and I think we may be running into those one of the cases. Like, a thing that is true is that movies are not books, and books are not movies. Yeah. And when you go this hard on your literary adaptations, you run into this problem where it's like, maybe you didn't like. They 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 read different. Like they just are different. Just, like you don't have to have everything in there. I'm not sure part five works as a book though. Either. Well, it's not a book. Is in the book are the book is there, I thought the books were three books. Well, the three books are five, also six. subdivided. There are six sections in the books as there are right, six right, sections. Right, right, right. No, I movie. understand that. But what I mean though is that like you wouldn't Right. You, certainly book 5 would not be a book by itself. Right, right. No, that's fair. But that's impossible. I mean like That's fair. The it's difference just... is but this is here's where I disagree with you. Okay. Is books can do that thing. You know, you know, like last time on Stargate. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Ba- books can do that any old fucking time they want, as easy as like writing a few pages. Yeah. Books can can establish context and setting and everything in a way that movies just don't have the power to do because you would need a narrator. You would need the movie to look at you and say, "So like," and you suddenly end up with fucking like Ferris Bueller or some yeah. shit. Like you know what I mean? You end up with like. I even Ferris Bueller. You end up with Zach on fucking Say by the Bell, right? Where you have the movie talking to you and being like, "Yeah." So you remember how last time I was behind enemy lines? Well, here's what happened next, and like, 
you can't do that in a movie because guess what? It doesn't work because it's a bad idea. I mean, well, you can, uh, but you end up with a very goofy movie that's totally. Or it could be goofy. You do, but um, you, I, well, you know where you don't want to do that? Probably your serious commentary on war. Yeah, no, that's fair. I just not to not to move the goalposts here, but I do feel that part five is the weakest just because it it is the same thing over and over again. Like he has, yeah. he has like the same encounters six times in just slightly yeah, different totally. forms. They even but get lost the in the woods twice. Uh, yeah, here's yeah. the thing though, Adam. That's the entire movie. <laughs> okay, all nine hours of it. No, I mean legitimately though, it is. It is a. It is. Perhaps we've discovered the most Buddhist of movies. Yeah, there you go. This movie is hyper cyclical. The same, we get the same rise and fall of Kaji over and over and over and over and over again, right? Where Kaji decides to adopt a mild level of ideals, yeah, very mild, and then has his hopes dashed by his encounter with other human beings. Well, that's what. Never minding the fact that Kaji's ideals are inherently themselves flawed and 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 somewhat sort of violent towards his fellow man. Yeah. In actuality. Yeah. I really love then on that note, uh, when they first encounter the civilians in the first woods and one of them yeah. says it's like meeting the Buddha in hell. Because it's really right. theologically it's like, well, what's the Buddha gonna do for me here? Great that I've met the right. Buddha, right. but <laughs> sure. Right. Um, previously I think we've talked about Kaji as a as a sort of messianic character. Uh, as an as an anti the idiot in a lot of ways, but maybe maybe understanding him as a as a false Buddha is uh, is maybe more important. Yeah, and worth very very <laughs> noting that like he's yeah like he's not a good Buddha. No, <laughs> like, no he's just he's not, not like at all. If that's what he's meant to be, uh, yeah. I mean, you just keep coming up with it. Like, yeah, Kaji keeps creating these sort of scenarios. Where he hurts everyone around him for no to no benefit of anyone, yeah. including himself. Right. It's really right. wild. We get this with Tarada. I think it's Tarada, right? Like, and then um, with that brother and sister, Kaji regularly abdicates his ability to do good or to influence the world in a way that is directly harm, possibly harmful to him. But could actually materially benefit others. Yeah. Uh, like Kaji sends them off with those other soldiers. Right. He exercises and authority that, that he does not have. Uh, he doesn't have. And bear in mind that, like, he had, he possessed within himself, maybe it wouldn't have succeeded, but the ability to somewhat try to establish safety for those two people. Right. And he, he adopts the policy of like, well, I'll just order these other people to do it and it'll all work yeah. out. As you mentioned, Part, he doesn't have the authority to do that. Particularly, but also, particularly for me with Tanada, it's something Kaji could have done himself and should have absolutely. done himself instead of telling someone else to do it. And I think what it comes down to, and we don't get any of this like textually, but Kaji believes probably accurately that if he le- leaves that group, he won't be able to come back to it. Because it will essentially immediately devolve into, yeah, yeah. But which, but when they maybe when they approach the town of women and old men, uh, he goes in the first group. That is the one moment where 
he actively sort of puts himself in danger. Well, we we see Kaji take the lead in like moments of action, like we, he kills that soldier yeah, on the side yeah. of the road of and all that stuff. Yes, Kaji believes in himself as a soldier. Yeah, which is just like very, which is also a huge problem. Yeah. It's an enormous problem with this movie. But Kaji is is confident in his ability to be a good soldier. Um, never mind the fact that later on we keep running into the fact that Kaji is also semi superhuman, which is really annoying. Like Kaji <laughs> is more resilient than every other Japanese soldier in yeah. the entire army. Uh, that's also troubling. But like he, whenever it comes to taking a position where he could actually materially benefit others, in line with what he expresses as quote unquote his ideals, he doesn't do it right because we get Tarada doing like the garbage duty. Well, there's no reason that Kaji couldn't pull that right. stunt himself right. and put himself in danger. And like, yeah, Toronto is weak, but like they don't seem to be like per se, like beating like bad workers to death on this work camp as much as they're just starving them to death. Right. right? Like, so it's like, well, if that's what they're doing, then like the most beneficial thing you could do would be go help you could do that thing you are asking him to do. And he does it out of this weird sense of paternalism over Tarada. Yeah. But like, he's actually obviously putting Tarada in to a certain, and like knowingly putting him in more danger. Right. Yeah. But that weird, because that weird sense of to, paternalism like, is what builds into the Japanese militarism anyway. Right. right absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and we just, we just see him do that over and over again. Right. Where he's like, where he, he won't like in the situations of battle won't sacrifice other people, but in all other situations he's hyper willing to just be like, You go do this thing yeah. that I could do and actually ensure that it happens and like successfully in the way I want it to. Or where I could take the punishment yeah. and instead, no, I'm gonna let and with, other guy do. and with Tanada it's it's paternalism, but it's also paternalism with his relationship to any civilians they encounter. Right. Yeah, totally. And and where it gets even more icky there is that it's a dichotomy between military and civilian that Tanada or that Kaji should be rejecting as part of part yeah, of what his totally. belief system is too. Right. Well, and we and we keep coming down to is the other thing is is Kaji's given many 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 opportunities to just lay down arms. Yeah. Right. And like and many of those opportunities laying down arms wouldn't directly be surrendering. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like he seems to be afraid of like being captured. I was like, again, we've talked about this before. I'm like, why one be afraid of that? For sure. But like, there's opportunities to just sort of like essentially don the 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 clothes and affect of a civilian and like try to just yeah get out. And then and then the one instance where he probably should not have laid down arms. He tries to, he tries to uh, solve nonviolently and gets two people killed needlessly. So right, uh, yeah. It's just it doesn't. It all just makes Kaji just in the end just makes no. Yeah, he's not great. Fucking it doesn't, sense. It doesn't it, help. Well, but but Kaji does make sense in very specifically the context of what we are have supposed the point of the movie is. Yeah. But that's that's you know circular itself because we only suppose that's the point of the movie because it's the only way we can make Kaji make sense. So, um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's true. You're right. But at the same time, if we take into account the supposition that we had earlier about 
the way that all societies that would view this movie would view this movie, the lens through which they would view this movie, yeah. then like it all does make sense. Kaji comes off exactly as intended from that specific perspective that just happens to be nearly global. Yeah. Or at least global within all the most of the yeah. audiences of this movie. Another thing another thing from Shinoda, he brings up uh, compares this movie to The Grand Illusion, which we watched a long, long time ago because it's spine number one. The first movie yeah. we ever watched? Yeah. <laughs> he not only compares it to The Grand Illusion, but says The Grand Illusion was, was an influence on the film here. And The Grand Illusion is very much the brotherhood of man, right? It's an anti-war movie in as much as it says pre-World War II, we're all the same, and fighting is absurd because we're all the same. Uh, right. Which is... A fine message for 1934, uh, I guess. Uh, but but it's a very it's a very sentimental humanistic uh, anti-war message. Well, too. Um, it is very sentimentally humanistic, but it does not have exactly the same flaws that <laughs> right, this right, movie right, has. Right, 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 and that that is it. While very sentimental and silly in yeah. many ways, it is explicitly holistically anti-war. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't remember Grand Illusion to remember very well how well they carry that off. Well, Grant, the other thing about... Because that was eight years ago. Shinoda brings this up a, a little bit. Uh, another interesting thing about Grand Illusion is that everyone, because they're in a POW camp and it's people, from, you know, it's World War I, uh, but it's officers and it's it's privates and it's everybody. Um, and Jean Gabin's character is, a, is a, a laborer who has been drafted and, you know, he's interacting with... Uh, with French aristocracy who who are acting as uh, military officials, uh, that that it uh, it has the class consciousness to also say we are all equal despite class differences too. Um, whereas I think this movie is at least a little bit interested in talking about where class comes into how people react to the war. Um, and that's yeah. not that's not necessarily textually explicit because it gets into the way people act and the way people talk more than them saying, "Oh, I'm I'm a rich man. That's why I'm an official." Right. Uh, right. Grand Illusion has has a particular class consciousness of of rejecting class differences, uh, whereas this movie is actually interesting commenting on uh, the way class class hierarchy is translated right. into military hierarchy. Right. And and yeah, it definitely does have that in there, which is like I guess I suppose one of the better parts of this movie <laughs> yeah. in actuality. I mean, the problem is is that what it comes well, and this happens where that really is, where that really hits a hits an interesting point in this movie is that Kaji does use his class privilege, particularly in the first movie. Yeah. But but yeah. continues continues to have that position of authority or assumed authority over people because of the class privilege that he has. Right. right? Um, and again, I think that's for all of Kaji's ideal and maybe, okay. Mid-century non-Soviet communists are usually middle-class, upper middle-class intellectuals. So, right. Uh, so there is an aspect to that, that he maybe doesn't recognize his class privilege and maybe, the movie is actively trying to say something about that. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a byproduct, a byproduct of the way 
the way leftists are, the leftists that our movie makers know are. Well, yeah, I mean, well, that when we when we talk about our our director, like, um, you know, he, we we kind of like alluded to sort of the way he understood things himself a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and he had he is also of that class, yeah. and he had more. So it's also quite possible our director also does yeah. not recognize his own class, yeah. like positioning. Honestly, without that consciousness, experiencing trauma at the hands of soviets means something different mm-hmm. than if you if you are actively engaging with with your well, own he class also position. wasn't he also wasn't <laughs> taken prisoner by the soviets he's taken prisoner by the americans so yes 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 he also has i mean our writer i assume i like again there his i didn't bother to read his entire thing but like he may have actually been i believe he captured by the soviets. No, i believe yeah. this is more true to his experience under his the, story yeah. than than uh, kobayashi's yeah, yeah. Well, but that that could play a role in some of what we're coming into is they actually had different experiences in the war, right? And 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 different enough, probably, that it may be somewhat causing a sort of weird divergence in the way they understood the end of the war. Yeah, you you know what I mean? Like for real, like the one of them was captured by the Soviets and one of them was captured by the uh, the Americans. Those are going to be probably very very likely different experiences yeah. um i not and 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 that disconnect to a certain extent may produce some of the weird artifacts that we're encountering here where one is trying to translate the vision of the other probably mostly successfully honestly but like maybe there's it's producing some weird hiccups now they too, both I were wonder. in manchuria though so i think there is there's some corollary uh but okay he was in an in a detention camp in okinawa Kobayashi yeah, was. no, where he ended up. I mean, in I mean, they're actual fighting. You know, neither of them were in like the Pacific. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I know. The other, like the 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 writer, he would have been captured in China by the Soviets. Very, very likely, it's possible he got captured in China by the Chinese. Yeah. Uh, we, I don't know. I'd have to go read his entire Wikipedia page. But my my point is, is like um. My point is that those are going to still be different experiences. Yeah. They they just are like by their nature, like, and that I that maybe that produces a disconnect. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. But like, it's just an interesting thing to think about. You know, on the sort of class of of the Japanese army, it is it is also therefore sort of interesting that the official that Kaji and his men encounter, who ends up putting the the two deserters to death, um, who berates them because. They have survived without their commanding officer. So why why had they not thrown themselves right. into death when their commanding officer has died? Is obviously a class thing, uh, and his his belief that he should align himself with the anti communist forces in China because the U.S. will align themselves with the anti communist forces in China, and therefore he will be in the U.S.'s good graces. <laughs> Is right. is uh, at least a a self consciousness about what right. why he has the privilege he has, which is kind of interesting as commentary mm-hmm. in the movie too. Uh, but yeah, I think there is a lot of very interesting stuff going on here. I thought they were good movies. They they were long. Uh, they told the yeah. story Kabayashi wanted to tell, certainly. So I can't I 
can't necessarily fault him for the length. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> we, my my complaints have been primarily yeah. in sort of it, with with the actual where what it, is happening yeah, in the movie, where it, but like where it gets down to it is we have a different view of the world <laughs> than Kobayashi right. is uh, is, and you know we have not lived through a war that no. we were conscripted into fighting in. So that's a difference. Yeah, well, and, and yeah, I mean, and we're also, out, we, and we've gone and run into this before. We've talked about this a million times, but we're also out of place and out of time. Yeah. And everything about this movie represents a foreign universe to us. But, yeah. like, you know, we, we have to take these movies as we understand them. I, I, I agree that the movie's pretty good. I mean, like, I, I think that, like, to a certain extent, making it just as intensely long and laborious as it is. Maybe that's its own intentional thing to make the audience suffer as a part of, part of the art, to make yeah. the audience like deal with the fact that this is a slog. You are going to go through some sort of like difficulty getting through this maybe, or maybe it's just like, well, I have to make it this long. I mean, I, I think it is reasonable to complain about the length of a movie yeah, and sort of the level of repetition within the movie as a flaw in the in the structure of it, like yeah, but I, but I got I think, most of the points much faster than the movie got there. I think your suggested explanation for such a thing, as as sort of a cyclical Buddhism thing, makes sense for the material too. Yeah, so, I know, but you could do that in three hours yeah. instead of nine. Yeah. I'm just saying, but That's like, fair. no, I think it, it wants it wants to have this sort of like hyper repetition as Kaji does the same yeah. mistake over and over again, which is also very much fits in this sort of like sort of very very buddhist sort of yeah. like conceptualization of like of of a the story of a of a failed individual yeah. of a a person failing to achieve any sort of enlightenment over the course of his entire existence self-contained within his life rather than as over the course of lives but like the flip side of that is is it's also possible that Kobayashi like imagined I need to make this full length that people need to understand this entire story in its full breadth which I think may actually be a flaw in thinking in terms of like what the movie needs to be, if that's the case. Yeah, um, it's it's very very long, and I mean it's beautiful at times and it's very drab at times. I will say sometimes it it hits really striking visual notes, and then sometimes, as mentioned before, it's a bunch of people in military uniforms in the mud and absolutely totally unrecognizable in any capacity. Yeah. Um. Um. And and may and that can be on purpose. That's fine, but like. And that's its own stylistic choice. But because it's so long, you end up with this thing where it's like, I have a really hard time pulling out mentally specific, individually striking scenes. I can do a few, but like, you know what I mean? You can't, um, you can't essentially unspool the entire movie in your head and like yeah. run through yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I mean, there are certain images within this film that will stick with me. Uh, yeah. But. Yeah, there, there are, there are sure, there are. Yeah. It's just that if I wanted to like sort of mentally sort through it, I would have a much greater task than I normally yeah. would, even like through a normal three-hour film. Uh, again, yeah, there are very striking images in it, and there are also scenes that I will absolutely forget yeah. because they are just right. they just kind of don't exist in my head or, anymore. I mean, there are plenty of scenes in this movie that I will eventually understand to be one scene in my memory when they were actually like yeah, ten or yeah, twenty totally. scenes in different locations. Yeah, totally for sure. Um, yeah. Well, I think I think we'd do a disservice to this movie if we didn't talk about its ending. And and to get to that, I sure. want to uh, I want to talk about Shinoda, Shinoda's bonus material real quick one more time, uh, because it is recorded in two thousand nine, 
mm-hmm. and Shinoda jokes around at the end of it uh, that he went online to see how young people talk about this movie today in 2009. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm sure it wasn't, but just imagining Shinoda getting on Reddit in 2009 yeah, yeah, probably yeah. isn't because he's probably interacting with, with Japanese forums, not... Uh, uh, but that might be worse, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, he laughs because the general consensus he finds is that the devotion to Machika is unrealistic or uh, somehow undercuts the anti-war message of the movie uh, by showing that his his true hope is in his devotion to the beauty of womanhood, which... Uh, which Shinoda then laughs and says, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> because I think that's a that's also a misread of the movie, but it is right. Uh, it is sort I of mean, how the movie will... ends, though. <laughs> yeah, I would say this. I would say a couple things about that. Is that first of all, I mean, he went on the Japanese internet. What, can, what else <laughs> right, can I say? Right, like. Right. Like the Japanese internet, like luckily, like things are getting not getting better, but there are now quadrants of the Japanese internet that are not entirely nightmarishly toxic. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, they are. And the sorts of people who are hyper on the internet in 2009 and then would watch a war movie from 1950, whatever, 59, like, boy, howdy, they're not the sort of people you want to <laughs> hang out or, or really, right. really know what they think about things for the most part. I mean, part. I, I mostly just share that to think about how silly it is to think about Shinoda getting on internet forums. To Yeah, it is very funny. Ask. And then, like, the sort I'm trying to yeah. imagine him getting on to one of those, like, those like, Japanese billboard yeah. systems that are, like, literally the most toxic places on Earth. Yeah. And them talking about this movie and then, like... Boy, I, I almost wonder what he didn't mention uh, that he read on there. What I keep imagining there is that, you know how we've talked about how, mind you, this movie is not actually trying to be do this anyway, how, like, you know, we talk a lot about the fact that it's impossible to make an anti-war film, yeah. right? If you're going to show war, you cannot make an anti-war film. And at first, I was like, well, in the first movie, we were kind of, like, doing okay. If you're in the in a very specific mental place, you could watch this movie and understand it at, in a very different way. You could almost flip it on its head and watch it as like this long-suffering Japanese soldier who just wants to do right by the Empire is punished by all these bad people yeah. overseas. You know what I mean? Like there's right. there's definitely bad Japanese Where- and like and but you can and you could read the bad Japanese ones and there's like well that's why we lost the war is all these these bad if only we had had better soldiers if we had better officers we would have won this thing like you know what i mean you could very you could very easily walk into this movie if you have the right frame of mind and and go full full well that's <laughs> why even full that's metal why jacket the movie you nine, could go further that's why the movie's nine and a half hours long so that so that you are slowly broken down from that bad framing of mind before right you get right right it. absolutely yeah maybe maybe that is legitimately that yeah. that I don't think that's the intention, but I believe that that works that way. Because, like, you could could think about it. Like, at any given moment in the movie, you could be like, well, this is a movie about why we lost the war. And, like, in that environment, if you're predisposed to reading all the Chinese characters as evil and all the Russian characters as evil and all those officers as not true Japanese. Yeah, well, that's that's where— I mean, you're going to walk away from this being like, yeah, I mean— 
He tried. One of my big problems with the final act of this movie is uh, that every Chinese character he meets uh, yes, is, I is totally baseless agree with that. and mean to him. Uh, yes. Even before yeah. they realize he's Japanese. Uh, yeah, they 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 turn him away being solely of being a beggar and right. like send him away to like starve to death or whatever. It's it's which which it's problematic. Which given where he is meant to be, uh, is uh, hard to read as anything but an attack on Chinese communism. Uh, as yeah. as still classist against the poorest yeah. of the poor, which maybe is fair. Uh, but also right. But bear in mind now we're getting into weird territory, right? Because now we're getting into territory where this is fully author fictionalization. <laughs> right. This doesn't represent what happened to him right. in the war at right. all. We're getting into author, um, what should we call it? Projection. Um, I'm uh, trying. To, yeah, exactly. Now we get to find out what the author thinks about the Chinese about Chinese communism, like because he doesn't know he did not escape from his prison. Right. He did not wander across the fucking frozen tundra yeah. and be de- and denied food until he died in a wasteland. Like, that's just not what happened to him. And so at this point, we've gotten into his fiction about the way he viewed... And, and, and a lot of these things probably directly did not happen to him. I do not believe that he is Kaji, right? Neither our author yeah. nor our director is Kaji. Right. None of them... N- nowhere in any of their bios did they do most of the things that Kaji did. Um, and you run into this problem where it's like, I mean, w- we maybe and like, of course, these bios are hyper incomplete, right? Read a book about him, maybe we find out he did go in front of a Soviet tribunal for trying to help other people, like trying to like generate a stu- food stealing program. Yeah, I don't know that part because these are not that detailed. I lean towards probably not because it's a very movie hero thing to be doing and not a very like normal prisoner of war thing to be doing in a mo- like in real life. I think. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There are parts of this movie where the hero gets very movie hero-esque. Kaji gets very, I'm in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Kaji's a brilliant sharpshooter. Kaji, his very presence seems to command other individuals around him to do his bidding, despite the fact that he's just another soldier wandering the woods. Part of the functionality of him sending other people to do all this dangerous, dirty work is for him to continue to exist as our main character of the movie, right? Right, absolutely. So, yeah, <laughs> until the and, end, and that's where you run into the problem that this is a story. It yeah. isn't. It is inherently already this fictional abstraction, and we we do run into a lot of problems from that because a lot of the scenarios just read as being made up scenarios that the author invented in his mind. Right. the The author of the book was seemingly based on what I read a, a conscientious objector who was sent to the Eastern Front as yeah. essentially like a laborer right. and then captured yeah. or or you know as like similar to what happens to Kaji at a time in the movie yeah um, but you don't get the impression that his entire life is like that so he's, he's done a sort of a, a, a fictional abstraction of like what he of a kind of person he could imagine going through the yeah. war there's nothing wrong with that, but we can't read it as fact. Another thing Shinoda says about his interpretation of the point of the movie, and I think this is this is fair beyond just in his his interpretation, other people's interpretations, an interpretation we can get from this. Uh, but I only mention Shinoda in this context 
to not be accused of plagiarizing, I guess, essentially, since I've already referenced him. Uh, He does say this as well, is that uh, the movie shows that anyone could turn evil uh, and that anxiety of if you could be the abuser, if you could be the one who's turning evil is always present. So one thing the ending of this movie does show is that, uh, well, again, we get Kaji framing himself as his motivation. The only hope he still has is seeing his wife again. And that suggests the motivation is to get back to his wife the entire time or to protect his wife the entire time. But that's not true of his motivation in the first aspect. The first aspect, uh, his motivation was to protect himself, not to protect his wife. But in fact, they get into an argument about that (laughs) at one point. Right. What Shinoda thinks this movie is telling a Japanese audience is to examine yourself. You could become, you could do these evil things even under your good, uh, your good motivations, just as Kaji had. Uh, And the end of the movie certainly reflects that as Kaji addresses his wife in his mind and uh, admits to all of the bad he has done and asks for her forgiveness but in all that, it really reminds me of a different Renoir film, The Rules of the Game, where uh, one of the main characters says the the most terrible thing in the world is that everyone has their reasons, right? Right. Uh, and, and whatever Kaji's motivation for doing what he did, he still did what he did. Right. And he did bad things to make sure he could survive to get home to his wife okay. I mean that's right. one interpretation of of his motivation a, a condensing right. and, and, a condensing of changing motivations through the course of the movie certainly but it's still that yeah. yeah I mean if you were yeah if you were going to make a like right like what is this character motivated yeah. by in one sentence or less right. that's the answer yeah. right like to stay alive to go home to his wife yeah. basically but like um the thing about it that's interesting is that Shinoda in there has interpreted what we are also taking away as what the movie's trying to get across, right. which is that idea of like, right. you know, you you can easily become the thing that yeah. you denounce now, and and the um, and and the you know, the not wrong. The hitch we hit is that uh, I think one the way we want to read the movie is that war does this to a person, right? Whereas Shinoda, at least, is maybe saying. The Japanese militarism, militarism that started building in the twenties, does right. this to a person. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I guess you know, it's very easy though to not to not to be like on the side of of the movie or Shinoda. It's like if you just went through that, maybe those are the same thing in your mind, right? right. You're wrong, right. right? But in your mind, those are the same thing, right? Like the Japanese military machine that you just lived through is. It war is so that is what war yeah, is. It's so big that you Period. cannot you cannot mentally separate it from the idea of war. And in that, you know, we right. talked and, about and, that a little bit earlier. Obviously, uh, yeah. And but it's important, I think, to loop back around on that. Like, it, like it can, this entire thing can doesn't have to be made built out of some sort of malice or like yeah. failure to rhetorically analyze what's going on clearly by the director and stuff. It's also like this is. This is what war is. Yeah. Like, I'm anti-war because I'm anti-this. This is what war is. Right. It's flawed, as we identified, but it's very, very understandable. Um, and even then, you and I come from a different place where we understand war in the context of what we understand war to be 
based on what we've gone like what we've lived through in our life and how we understand our war machine, right? Yeah. So even then, we tend to contextualize their war machine in the context of the war machine that we've right. spent most of our lives directly interacting with, which is actually a difference. They are very much fruit from the same tree, but they are also not the same. Normally, we have a little more of a buffer so that I'm not uh, editing the final movie in a series <laughs> when the first kind of works is. out in this situation, yeah. though. Uh, but it gave me a chance to sort of revisit some of the things we talked about in the first one. Um, and I had said that I hoped uh, a certain line would become an echo line that we'd revisit later in the movie. And we didn't exactly do that. We maybe kind of did that in some of the flashbacks he has, but neither, never explicitly. And that's when the, the head of the Chinese POWs, uh, the leader of their group, says to him, your life has been a series of errors stemming from the conflict between your work and yourself. Uh, and I and I think the movie not just doesn't, like really drops the ball on that yeah. almost entirely, I would say. And, and I think in as much as work and class are tied together in Japanese society— and I think that's more true in the mid twentieth century than, than I mean. Maybe I think today. that's true of of most <laughs> but mid twentieth century societies. Right, 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 right. right. I'm not I'm not putting general. this on intrinsically on Japanese, but I think right. I, that's what I was trying to. I avoid. think because like America was yeah. very much exactly right, the same right. way. I think to say your life has been a series of errors stemming from the conflict between your class and yourself, as opposed to your work and yourself. Uh, are saying very similar right. things but different things and maybe a more explicit message to take away uh, of what we right. see Kaji actually experiencing because his his work kind of changes, but it doesn't really change. Right. You know, He gets put in charge of the misfits uh, because of his class. Right, I mean, and, Kaji and keeps it's the conflict, doing... Like, well, yeah. yeah, the conflict yeah. between his job as a soldier, his job as a trainer, his job as... Uh, the ranking officer surviving a battle right. uh, and his conflict between those jobs and uh, and his ideals are what what drives all of right, his, all of his him... errors in the last two movies yeah. <laughs> so not yeah. not to be like too down or <laughs> on it and like to be like shitty about it but like also though as we've talked about before, it is, but it isn't because Kaji also doesn't seem to be steadfast in those ideals, even a little bit, right? We talked about like Kaji is, you know, that his, you're right in that it's like a conflict, but like also Kaji doesn't, how I'm trying to express this, like sometimes there doesn't appear to be any conflict at all. Right. And and that and those ideals just don't even exist. It's not so much that like he struggles with them as much as he like because in conflict in my mind is a struggle. Sometimes Kaji is just the bad person right. without the ideals at all. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of where we run into a bit of a thing where it's like that statement is awfully lofty for the mo- for the character we spend all of our time <laughs> right, with. Right. Well, that's that's a you thing. Know what I'm saying a thing Kaji every so often does. Is spout a piece of rhetoric that that uh, would suggest some sort of deeper understanding of how the world works that he then does not actually act on for right for so it's all. really more of it's like it's really more of a like most of your problems have been generated by 
whatever I forget the exact phrase, but you know what I mean, has been generated <laughs> by a conflict between the things you say and what you act. Like, you right, know what I mean? It's right. like it's not even your ideals; it's your like stated ideals. Right. You're like, well, yeah. Then we get we get into you know in that phraseology class <laughs> conflict between your work and yourself. What qualifies as yourself there? You know, right, right. Is it what you do or what you say you believe? Well, I think we can, you right. and I can come to an agreement about which one of those <laughs> yeah. things is true. But Kaji's yeah. real problem is what he says he believes and what he actually believes, right? Well, I'm not actually convinced that Kaji actually believes anything. Right, 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 right. Like right. Kaji, I mean, not 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 just because he's a fictional character, but like Kaji is there is at best a sort of like weird talking shell of a man that a, doesn't like really seem to believe anything other than like save me, save me, save me. because because I am fully. I do fully believe that this movie comes from people who believe that there is a just war. I believe Kaji yeah. is serious in the first movie when he says, oh, how is it? That the only acceptable violence is to overthrow oppression. Um, yeah. And, you know, whether or not I agree with that, beside the point here. Uh, but there are there are explicit moments like where Kaji doesn't do violence Kaji, to overthrow right. oppression. Like when that military commander is about to kill the two deserters who wanted to join his group yeah. walking home. Uh, he does not use violence to even thwart. <laughs> to, well, but, that's what I'm saying, yeah. right? Is Kaji is all talk. Right. Kaji doesn't actually seem to have right. substantial identifiable ideals as much as rhetoric right. that he's willing right. to say. And, Which is... Which is actually, I would argue, is what actually ends up being Kaji's real downfall is the fact that he's willing to spout off rhetoric that he is not willing to put into action. Right. Period. Like, it's not so much a conflict between his work and himself. It's a conflict between the rhetoric that Kaji has decided he's going to say and what Kaji is actually willing yeah. to do, which are not, it's not the same statement, right? No. Like, Kaji's absolutely willing to spout off sort of like this, this, humanist sort of like pro like anti sort of anti-military establishment rhetoric but kaji is 100 percent not willing right. to do anything but he to stop he the kind of things that are going kind on of him. is at times because the only reason oh, they're in a position bad. to accept those deserters as on their side is because when they first met that official and and he said oh well you're deserters go away or join up uh we're gonna go fight with with the americans um, on the side of the americans or where we think the americans are going to end up uh kaji and his men pull guns on him and kaji shoots at his feet to say there's no fight left there's no there's no war to be fought anymore we have been defeated right but but that's but but that's what i'm saying is like yeah you're right i agree you're 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 making a very valid point but I would also there's the flip side of that being that that's Kaji's nihilism right. combining right. with Kaji's still not willing to actually do violence right. to 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 instantiate any of his ideals into reality. Right. His stated ideals into reality. Because he could just also just shoot that man. Yeah. Like he could. He's not going to. And so what we find is we keep finding Kaji at best is willing to threaten people. But is absolutely willing to do things like stab a random Russian officer on the side of the road in the dark, yeah, or or do violence against civilians that he finds, and all these other people that are not Kaji 
is adamant and is unwilling to do real physical violence for protecting, like, to, like, the goal of protecting people, especially against other Japanese people. Right. Kaji has Kaji has a very, very, very... Japanese lives are more valuable than other people's lives streak running through him very much in the undercurrent of the whole thing. Like, he protects... He tries to protect Chinese civilians at times. He tries to... It, it's a very... Kaji's all over the but, fucking map. But, is my problem. But yeah, Kaji's just all over in the that map. sequence. He's unreadable in the sequence of interacting with that that camp of soldiers. Uh, he still maintains a class difference between Japanese people too, because yeah. because he won't he won't frag the commanding officer or do anything to stop the murder of two two people who yeah. just want to leave. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like we, like, Kaji's a bad dude. Yeah. Like, this is in the end, it, it all sums up to like Kaji's a bad dude who has really only the singular motivation of like trying to save himself. Like, in the end, like that's really, and then every so often, like, backs himself into a rhetorical corner where he'll just say some s- stupid shit that is like in theory about how I have an obligation to protect other people, but reality, those are still just obligations to protect himself. Right? Like when he talks about at the very end of the camp, talking about like, well, I have to protect the people around me. And that's what this sabot- quote unquote sabotage and stuff is about. Well, that, that is def- directly beneficial to Kaji himself. It's always like that. Yeah. Kaji's definition of things, helping the people around him are the things that, Help the other people around him and Kaji. I mean, we can come to the the final conclusion that like, good movie or not, I hate the main <laughs> character, and not in the same way that I like. You know, like we watch movies where there's like the char- the main character is a sort of antihero or an explicit bad guy. I don't know that I'm supposed to loathe Kaji when I'm done with this. I'm maybe supposed to like look at Kaji and be like that poor poor idealistic. In fool. the end, we're supposed to look at Kaji and think I could be Kaji, and yeah. But that's certainly not the same thing as hating Kaji. Right, right, right. Well, we're supposed to <laughs> we're supposed to think I could be Kaji as a means of being ever vigilant to not become Kaji, which is a form of hatred. Yeah, but or at I least an so. acknowledgement that Kaji is bad. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I I think we're supposed to sympathize with him though. Like we're supposed to like also feel that feeling of like, well, I don't want to be like Kaji, but I like I understand. Like I I sympathize with Kaji throughout the film. Like you can feel all the times with the movie, like trying to like sort of pull on our heartstrings to make us sympathize with Kaji and his position, sort of as part and parcel of trying to make us like understand that we could be Kaji. But because I find myself detesting Kaji on so many levels, I don't generally. I do a few times, but I don't consistently throughout the film feel that feeling of like, oh, I I could totally see myself in Kaji's shoes and doing what Kaji's doing. You know what I mean? It's very. Um, well, number one, there's no way I could make it through that forest without eating that rice. Yeah. That shit would have been gone with all of us, like, day one. We need the but... energy to get out of these woods. So oh, we yeah. I mean, I, maybe I could come up with yeah. some reason. But, like, I'm just saying, like, no way I'm going to, like, sit on that rice for, like, yeah. whatever, however fucking long they were in those yeah. woods. I just don't have it I'm in I'm glad me. you recognize it as not having it in you. But I think utilitarian and pragmatic choice was to feed everybody. Yeah, no, I agree, not. too. Like, actually, from a very pragmatic yeah. standpoint, it's, it would have been better just to feed everybody. It's the same choice of scarcity okay. that we've seen throughout. It's why the POWs are fed crap, uh, you yeah. know, because we gotta we got to save the good stuff for, you know, the strong, the people who are already strong. It's like, well... 
Yeah. And you know, and that's that's part and parcel to the well, if you don't well, if I mean, you don't beat the workers, they might do a better job. Uh, you know. Right. Uh, well, I mean, we're 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 getting into now like sort of like how how you get to fascism. Yeah. 101. Yeah. Just like, well, well we just got to keep that food for the for the already strong ones. I know. I guess I I'd, I'd feel different about it if it didn't end so bleakly. I I regularly hate narratives that end with our main character dying. Yeah, but I it's get not it. just that our main character dies; it ends with zero hope whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think yeah, had it ended with him like getting recaptured or something, it, well, it's a very fascinating story because it comes from a person who actually did make it to the right. war in a prisoner of war camp and lived yeah an additional quite a bit of additional time. Now, mind you, like, a lot of people didn't. I'm sure that he saw a lot of people die. I I also might. A kind of a weird thing about it is when you start your movie off talking about Japanese war atrocities and then you end talking about the war atrocities of other groups that were in the war, it does feel like a sort of weird whataboutism too, right? I understand that it's, it is absolutely true. And 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 we'll, and these things get very very complicated. The I I do I am a hyper unaware of what kind of war crimes the, the Soviets engaged with in in Manchuria as they took over. And again, you get into that sort of thing, like do do the victors write the but history? Even, even beyond the Soviets, that no Chinese person he encounters after escaping the camp offers him any amount of doing? grace. Yeah, yeah, seems like it only exists as a justification for the same feelings that led to the problems with the POWs in the first part of the movie, that they are less yeah. than human. There's yeah. an argument that these Chinese people are being positioned as viewing him as less than human and therefore in the same way as they were viewed earlier, but that that cyclical nature of, of that is a problem. Right. We do find it run into this fundamental problem because it does create that environment. It is meant for a Japanese audience, so it's going to be more than likely read in a very specific right. way. And and the problem I'm running into is you get into this – when you get into this kind of whataboutism sort of stuff, bear – and I, it's it sounds really weird when I say it, and I don't love saying it, and it, and I'm not comfortable with it 100. percent But like, one of these countries did like took over and did terrible things to the other. And and you know, it's not good or a justification, but like the way they do it at the end, it's like we get more nuanced anger from Chinese people earlier in the movie. You know what I mean? Where they do talk about like, well, I mean, you've done terrible things to right, us. Right. Why would we help you right now? Like, but at the end, it's they're just demons. They're just weird, no food demons that just are haunting him. Um, and so it it does kind of read really gross. It is not problematic exactly, but it's it is a little. You're trying to make your movie about. You're trying to make your movie about w- w- the dangers of this kind of like Japanese militaristic nationalism and you you talk about you sort of engage with the atrocities committed by your people at the beginning not very well yeah i mean we get the pow's but we don't as we mentioned don't engage with the concept of comfort women or anything like that barely at all in this movie we don't we don't engage with like all the atrocities done by the by the japanese in china earlier in the movie not really you know what i mean we don't really touch on them that much yeah so what we end up with is we end up with Soviets and Chinese uh, Soviet people doing 
more violent, like, for example, sexual crimes against Japanese women at the end of the movie than we see anywhere else throughout earlier in the movie portray, perpetrated by the Japanese soldiers against the, the like, Chinese population. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it actually gets really kind of weird when you start to like sort of pick it apart sort of like in a in a purely numerical sort of sense, right? We get the POWs and the POWs are hyper mistreated, but we don't really engage with that as war crimes. Right. We engage with that not in the same way, and- whereas at the end we see we see the Soviets sort of like being and we see the ja- individual Japanese soldiers acting bad, but we don't see the Japanese army as a whole being yeah. well, bad against the Chinese in the same way that we see the Soviets being bad against the Japanese population as a whole at the end. Another place that makes sense. Another place where that kind of becomes a problem is in the first movie's framing of the uh, comfort women uh, moving yeah. forward. Well, that, that's extra. Oh, that's the fact that that is not framed as the war crime it is uh even no i mean it, it is it is it is most assuredly in this in the first movie framed as a as a at least a semi-consensual financial arrangement right. rather than what it was which was sexual slavery. i don't know maybe maybe it would have been something if the movie made a point of pointing out that the soviet camp does not have a comfort woman division uh but yeah yeah <laughs> Really, when you dig in, I, I just keep running into this thing is that what we don't see at the beginning of the movie, we do not see explicitly hyper systemic war crime type activity from the Japanese against the Chinese population. And then we get at the end of the movie, this sort of like Soviet and Chinese bogeyman sort of scenario where all the Chinese, all the Japanese people we encounter are hyper scared. What are they going to do to us? Yeah. And I get it it's from a Japanese perspective, but like it's it paints that primary crime of the Japanese in Manchuria during Kaji's tenure is is the exploitation and working of laborers to death. And not things like rampant rape and murder. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and then in that situation you make it almost into a sort of like well, the worker exploitation in Manchuria was was basically primarily about ca- class conflict. So, whoa, 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 there, whoa, let's back it up. That is not right. If, if somebody were going to boil down the top ten list of Japanese war crimes in Manchuria, like it's on there, but it's not number one. Yeah, well, you know that that boils down to. Uh, class reductionism uh and not taking account uh racism into this conversation too yeah it's just yeah it's just i don't know it just it just when i think about it like we it feels like as the movie escalates we always keep the japanese side of it very personal and everybody else's side is is right and it is the nature of the story they're telling but also it's problematic but that's problematic right It, it is a problematic thing to be like well the enemy is this large group of faceless people who do bad things. Yeah. We're individual Japanese people. Some of us are bad. Some of us are good. I think, and I think that is particularly a problem with the final sequence where every Chinese uh, individual yeah, totally. he meets—it just hammers it yeah, home. Yeah, is mean, violent, and faceless. 
we really do need to pull this to a close. This week, we've been finishing up Kobayashi's The Human Condition with A Soldier's Prayer, the final section. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about Made in the USA, uh, a very a very different movie to this, a crime comedy from uh, Jean-Luc Goddard. Uh, I kind of need it, yeah, though. Which will be a, be a great palate cleanser, if nothing else. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, Lee on Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Lost in Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com/LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.